Uh, loving Father, thank you that we can gather this morning. Uh, please feed and nurture us by your word, that we might grow in Christ and glorify you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Good, please be seated and good morning again. Uh, you might want to open to uh, Leviticus. Uh, open up the chapters 23 and 25 and later on we'll flick across to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start by asking you, where do you like to holiday? Alright, so put your hand up if you like to go to the coast. Put your, put your hand up if you like to go on a cruise. Oh, not many. Oh, wow. Uh, what about if you go further inland? Who likes that? Yeah, finally Mick Cutler put his hand up. There's no surprise. Uh, did you know that the holiday is a short form of holy days? Holy days. And holy days are always set apart for a special purpose. Holy days are about people's relationship with God. Did you think about your relationship with God on your last holiday? Sadly, for so many, our holidays are more about time away from God than time with God, let alone for God. But imagine that in your travel brochure. Come on a cruise to Vietnam and remember your special relationship with the Lord. Don't see it happening somehow. Flick over to chapter 23. Notice that there are lots of festivals in chapter 23. Festival of Trumpets, Festival of Weeks, Unleavened Bread. And if you're an Israelite, that means your annual wall planner, your diary, is going to be fairly full, right? And maybe you have important dates locked away in your phone and God comes along and uploads all these divine reminders into your calendar. And why does he do it? Because he wants people... To remember. So you see in chapter 23, verse 3, the seven day week is mine, God says. So take one day to remember that as a Sabbath. Or verse 4, at Passover, I made you mine. So eat a meal and remember that. Or verse 9, your harvest, offering the first fruits, it's all mine, but reserve a tenth to remember that. And on it goes. And some are daily, and some are weekly, and some have even longer time cycles. When we flick over to chapter 25, it opens with another reminder to practice the Sabbath. And as we think about the Sabbath, maybe our minds go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Yeah, because on, the, on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. It's a holy day. You can literally thank God for the weekend. Humans are to remember our creator. Creation's goal is rest with God from Genesis to Revelation. But in Leviticus, we're not in Eden, we're in Sinai, way outside of the garden. So what's going on here in chapter 25? 
Because here we've got not just Sabbath days, they're Sabbath years. And more, when we get to verse 8, they're a jubilee in chapter 25, which is like a supercharged Sabbath. It's next level Sabbath. Can you see verse 8? Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years, and then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the Sabbath month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land, consecrate the, the 50th year, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. Do not sow, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the untended vine, for it is a jubilee and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is ta taken directly from the fields in this year of jubilee. Everyone is to return to their own property. Here's a news flash. The word jubilee doesn't mean 50, all right? It doesn't. It literally means blowing the ram's horn. Now it's so lovely to have someone blow a trumpet right now. Uh, and the trumpet blowing is the signal that the year of jubilee has arrived. Notice it's holy. Notice they proclaim freedom and liberty, verse 10. And then verse 13, this curious thing where everyone is to return to their own property and to their own clan. The blowing of the trumpet is a community announcement that everybody is to return to their corners. Go back to your corners. Can you imagine that? Go to the original place I gave you, God says. And you might be thinking right now, what place? The promised land. When they get to the promised land, God divvies it up for them. Twelve tribes get allocated their parcel. And every 50 years, the message is, get back to that. Get back to that. Maybe it's like hitting a, a reset button on the machine. Sometimes the machine breaks up, mucks up. Uh, easy fix is just to hit the reset button, right? Sometimes the reset button might be on your TV or your mobile phone. And then it'll ask you if you want to go back to factory settings. Do you want to go back to the start? Blank canvas. Do you want to start over? And in the year of Jubilee, the answer is yes. Yes, yes, I want to do that. Take me back there. It's kind of like God's people are rebooted, if you like. Everything goes back to what it was when God first gave Israel the land. And you might be asking, but why? Why? And I want to say, this is God making sure the inheritance is guaranteed for future generations. This is God recapturing his purposes for his people as the giver of the land. And that's the point of Jubilee. 
Even though the Israelite is free to buy and sell, they are. They're free to fail or to flourish. God's gift of inheritance is not going to be derailed by the greed of some farmers or the incompetence of others in that 50 years. And so they go back to their corners. Can you imagine that? That would be really something, wouldn't it? Now you might be thinking, huh, but what if but what if they traded some of their land? What if they bought or sold? Well, according to verses 14 and 17, what they really trade is not the land, but the potential yield of the crops until the year of Jubilee. It's a bit like an ancient Near East futures market. So then you might say, but Adam, do they own the land? And the answer is no. No, they don't own the land. Look at verse 23. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. So God owns the title deeds. It's always his land. As a gift, he gives the right to possess and use the land or he takes it away. It is his to give or to take. Which means God's giving here is always a matter of grace. It's by God's grace that Israel can come into this land and not own it, but possess it. It's grace upon grace. It means that with God, there's always a new start on the horizon. There's always the opportunity to start afresh. With God, you can see that he is faithful. That he preserves the inheritance and he guarantees it to future generations. It's like he gives it again and again and again and again. This inheritance is always to be on the horizon in the thinking of the Israelite. Question. Did Israel ever celebrate the Jubilee? Did they ever actually do this? Uh-huh. Honestly, I looked through the Bible, I've seen no evidence. But maybe someone's written a PhD on it, who knows? What would Abraham, if we could interview Abraham this morning, what would he say about all this Holy land stuff. What did Abraham long for? He wanted around the promised land for a little while. What would he say? Hebrews 11 verse 16 says that people like Abraham are actually longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for God has prepared a city for them. Abraham knew it was always about something bigger 
and infinitely better. And when we come to the Gospels, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is now preparing a place for us. John 14. In his Father's house there are many rooms and he's preparing it. And he is the way. And he brings us safe through Jordan to thy home above. So goes the hymn. Our home above, where we will receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade. This is an inheritance kept in heaven for us. 1 Peter 1. What else might this teach us? I think it teaches us that we cannot have our feet so anchored in this world and our earthly priorities yet have not so little regard for the inheritance ahead. We are citizens of heaven and we need to keep that before us. And this passage reminds us to do that. The alternative is to sell our souls to the mortgage or the farm or to worship at the altar of family or the altar of work or the altar of status. It's incredible that our community would find security in the possession of such things as toilet paper. <laughs> At the expense of everyone else. It means that we've really bottomed out as a community. And uh, those who sell hand sanitizer, they're really rubbing their hands together at the moment. Have no fear. Hear God's invitation. Look to the inheritance ahead. And start over. Reset if you need to. There's something else going on that's important. Because for Israel, this jubilee is not only about inheritance, it's about redemption. It's about redemption. Imagine it. You are in Israel and you are in debt to your eyeballs and it is so bad you need to get a credit card. You've got to pay off other credit cards and it snowballs and it gets worse and worse. You're paying interest on the interest on the interest. That's you. And you get to the point that you're so financially overloaded. It is the end of the line. And you've been on the family farm and you've just got to walk off. And you've got to leave it all behind, and that would be devastating. Can you imagine that? But back in Israel, it's way worse, because if you got to the bottom of the barrel, you'd even have to sell yourself and become a slave, because that's what they did back then. So put your mind to that for a second. There's no way you can pay it back. There's no way that you can buy back in. And now imagine hearing the trumpet blow. All around Israel, a trumpet that announces the year of Jubilee. And what happens next? It's good news because verse 13 says you go back to your family farm. Off you go. Everybody returns. And there are other provisions as well. See verse 39. If one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, don't make him work like a slave. Treat him like a hired worker. Give him a bit of dignity. Verse 40, he'll work for you until when? 
till the year of Jubilee when he's going to say bye-bye. Why? Because you're serving a serving God. Why do we look after the poor in Israel? Why not charge interest? Why not make a dollar for someone else's demise? Why not do that? Verse 38. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. It's because that's not what God did to you. And so remember, he delivered us. He redeemed us. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember what God has done. That he's given you an inheritance as a redeemed person. And because that is true, Leviticus 25, as we read all of it, we'll see it's to shape the way that Israelites are to treat one another. See verse 42, because you Israelites, you are my servants who are brought out of Egypt. So don't go making my servant your servant. I think that's the idea. Don't enslave them again. Same thing in verse 54 and 55. If you hit rock bottom and sold yourself as a slave to a foreigner, even if you are not redeemed any other way, you'll be set free in the year of Jubilee because verse 55. Why? Because the Israelites belong to me. Israel are my servants who are brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now I wonder if you like the sound of all that. And I guess it depends on what side of the ledger you might be on. How do you like the sound of a brand new start and a clean slate? How do you like the sound of people being let off the hook in a way that they don't deserve at all really? Maybe it depends on whether you think you've got credit. Or maybe you just know that you're in debt. See, the point is, every 50 years, Israel was meant to be reminded that they serve a jubilee God. A God of new beginnings. A God who guarantees an inheritance. A God who redeems. A God who extends grace upon grace upon grace. And it was meant to remind them how they're meant to treat one another in light of all that. That God is still a jubilee God. That God is still the God of the new start. Of starting out. I mean, imagine the chance of starting over. When it comes to your account with God. Our jubilee God, he's done that. He's redeemed us. That we've been purchased and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We can start over because Jesus is our jubilee. What I owe, my debt of sin, it's been cancelled, ripped up and it's gone. Yep, that true in the gospel? And we'll remember that when we come to the table and we'll give thanks to God for that. But if we're people that come to the table, if we're people that know God's forgiveness, then we need to forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, 
just as in Christ God forgave you. Those words just as are very powerful. We are called to be just as Christ. Like God forgave us. We are to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Chapter 5 verse 1. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love. There it is again. Just as Christ loved us. And how did Christ love us? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's an invitation to love, to forgive, to serve, just as Christ loved us, forgave us, served us. Is that easy? Is it easy to forgive? Is it easy to let go of past hurts? Well, was it easy for God, the life of his son, like a lightning rod for his father's anger at sin? But can we do that as forgiven people? Can we accept God's jubilee? Well, have you accepted God's forgiveness of you? And then if that's true, are you extending it to one another? Can you make a mental tally of your list of the, of, of the things that you think are, are owed to you? All your heart, all your hurts, all your pain. You got your mental tally? Is it long enough? Add a few more. And now, can you rip it up? Can you rip it up just as God did for you and start over? See, the alternative is, it's so striking. The alternative is to go the path of the unmerciful servant, isn't it? Who, having tasted grace, refused to forgive and was denied his inheritance. It's Matthew 18. We did it not that long ago. That cannot be the path for the Christian. For those who share at the Lord's table. In the gospel we know in a sense that the trumpet blew once and for all when Jesus came and died. And we know that the trumpets will blow again when Jesus returns for he's redeemed on the last day. And what a day that will be when we're taken up to eternal rest, eternal jubilee if you like. Eternal party time. And so we need to say, I forgive you like God forgave me. I love you like Jesus loves me. I cancel your debt like he cancelled mine. I serve you like Jesus served me. Because Jesus is our jubilee. And he's coming back. And he's done the work of squaring up the ledger. And so we should not hesitate in doing the same for those by whom we have been wronged. As we look forward to the inheritance, the heavenly country to come. Amen.